Our scripture reading today comes from Acts 5, verses 27 through 32. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. As we continue in worship, will you pray with me? Christ who has risen, may our lives live in view of that reality. May our lives be an alleluia. Holy Spirit, meet us here this morning and teach us all and open our hearts that we might be our church. It's in Christ's name we gather, amen. Well, again, hello. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'm Sarah, one of the ministers here at Meeting House Church. And we just started a new series last week talking about church. Seems like an appropriate thing for a church to do, right? To talk about what it means to be church and what it means to be church on mission. To ask these questions and delve into it, we thought, what a better place to start than, you know, like with the early church, right? Seems like a good place for a church to turn towards. And so we hear so much of the story of the early church in the book of Acts. And so that's what we'll be going through in this series is the book of Acts asking the questions of what does it mean for us to be church in our time? Who is God calling us to be and how do we live faithfully in view of that? The story of Acts is wedded together with the story of Luke's. It was written as one book where the story of Jesus becomes the foundation on which the church is built, right? We would hope. There's a, I think I am about that. The church is one foundation. Uh, see, I know lots of kinds of music. In fact, the other day I was talking with Jeff thinking about the title of this sermon and I said, you know, <clears throat> This makes me think of a song. And Jeff was very surprised about this and, and said, oh, really, what song? This is extreme sarcasm, by the way, because I always have a song for everything. So for those of you who don't remember, it was the early 90s, the heyday of the synthesizer, when Amy Grant released her Unguarded album. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Some of you might be calling to mind the song. You got to know who to, who not to listen to, with the synthesizer. You got to know who to, who not to listen to. Not quite as good as the original, but you know, forgive me. I'm not Amy Grant. <laughs> but this question was one of the questions for the early church about who were they going to listen to? What did it mean to be the church? What did it mean to take up the name of Jesus? What did it mean to live that in the world? And that's the question and the struggle with them that we're turning to when we got to hear Kim read for us from Acts chapter 5. A little bit of context. We're five chapters into the recorded story of the early church. 
What's happened at the end of Luke, Jesus has gone up into heaven, given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We had Pentecost. All the people got to hear the good news in their own language, in their own skin, in their own identities, and they began to wrestle then together with what did it mean to be the church. The passage that we've come to is not the first, but the second time that it's recorded that these early followers of Jesus just couldn't seem to get their acts together in listening to the public authorities. They had been warned. They were warned and thrown into jail then. And here again, now they're brought before the teachers of the law. And they're told, hey, listen, we've already told you. You're supposed to quit talking about this guy. What are you doing? And they're like, well, sorry, not sorry. But we have to obey God. We have to be faithful to the witness that we've seen in view of who Christ is. And this is the moment in which we join them in the story with the question of who do we listen to? What does it mean to be church in our time? And who do we, without synthesizers, who do we listen to? As we consider that, I wanted to pose five questions. I know that's more than I think you're supposed to do in a sermon. I think I like get a three, like three question limit usually, but just you know, give me some grace. Jesus rose from the dead, so grace is for everybody, including preachers who come up with five questions, okay? So the first question that I wanted to bring up this morning is a question about, as we read passages like this one from Acts, do we read it as just a story from long ago Do we mythologize this story? Or do we let it speak to us now? So the question is, do we mythologize the story? Right, there's so many different texts in scripture, so many stories, but do we approach them as just stories that were from a historical past? Or do we believe that these stories are stories that shape us today as a community? Are we mythologizing these stories? Or are we letting these stories speak to us now. The book of Acts has all sorts of stories, as does the Bible, of things that are complicated and we wrestle together and people have wrestled throughout history with what do they mean. But do we take them seriously? Or do we mythologize them? You know, you may remember in Acts, some of you have heard this, it talks about how all the believers, they sold everything and they shared everything in common. How many of you live like that? Notice I'm not raising my hand, okay? Now, does that mean we just say, oh, that was a story from a long time ago? Or do we pick it up and say, what is this story inviting us to consider about what it means to be church? What might we learn from it? So question one, do we mythologize this story? Or do we let it be a story that shapes us? You might guess where I, I sit with that question. Because I hope indeed, which is my second question, is how do we translate the story to our time? What does the story ask of us? What if we read this story from the book of Acts and look around our world for examples and places where people are seeking to live in this kind of faithful witness in our time? How are we ourselves striving to live in faithful witness in our time? Where are the places in our own world where we might be being invited even today to say clearly, 
I know you don't want me to do this, but I have to obey God. I have to listen to and take seriously the name and the call of Christ in my life. To figure out this translation work is complicated and hard and it asks a lot of us. But isn't that what we're told in following Jesus? Come and learn from me. Yes, it is a yoke, but it's one that's light. It's one that's meant to make us free. How do we translate this story into our time? Thinking about this story and reading it, do any stories from the more recent history pop to your mind? For me, one that came to mind was thinking about Martin Luther King Jr., right? Not so far into the past as this story of the early church. He, along with other ministers and black clergy leaders and other leaders of, who are white and of other religions as well, they joined together, and for the Christian ministers and leaders, they did so because they believed in the biblical call that freedom was for everybody. They took the example of Exodus and then again of the early church, saying, we ourselves, we believe that these laws aren't right and just, and who are we going to obey? We're going to obey God. If you read any of Martin Luther King's speeches, you hear again and again throughout them a belief that I ain't fearing any man because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. It's a quote from his final message that he gave. And yet, of course, there were people who were opposed to this movement, people within the church, just like the early church was experiencing where at that time it was other religious leaders who said, no, we don't want to deal with this Jesus and what you're saying it's asking from us. No, stop talking about it. Likewise, MLK and other civil rights leaders said, we can't quit talking about this because the gospel is good news for everybody and so we're going to keep talking and you can throw me in jail, but I'm going to keep talking. And they took his encouragement this passage from Acts, and we ourselves can likewise take encouragement in our time. But are we mythologizing the story? Will we let the story speak into our lives and our time? A third question. Does our faith embody a both and? Okay, I'll say more about that. Sometimes, when we talk about faith, it's as if it's a privatized thing only. I've accepted Jesus into my heart, and I strive to live in relationship with Jesus. That truth has changed my life, again and again. But the story of the early church challenges us that if the encounter with Jesus is only about my private life, then I have forgotten and neglected part of the call of the gospel, which is the call to a community to be the church, and then for the church to be the witness to another kingdom in the world. Our faith then calls us to both be transformed within our inner being and to live that transformation. I'm committed to my relationship with Andy, 
But if I only hold that within myself and don't live on a daily basis so as to demonstrate and embody that love, then what does it mean? At that point, I'm guilty of what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. I'm a clanging gong and cymbal without any meaning because love is that which is practiced out loud and in public. It imbues everything of who we are. The call of Christ isn't to a part of our lives. It's to the whole of our lives that we could be Christian in every part of who we are and how we move. So do we take this example and live a faith that is both and? A faith of inner transformation and a faith that is about transforming the world in partnership with God's spirit. The first question again. Do we mythologize this story or do we let it speak to us? The second question, do we let this story speak and ask us to wrestle with how we are Christian in our time? The third question, will our faith be a both and, a public and private, about inner transformation and political and every reform in our entire world? The fourth then, and this one is especially complicated. When we say we must obey God, are we following God, obeying God, listening to God's voice, or are we following and listening to human rules? Are we following God or actually obeying human rules? Let me say more about this. Here's the deal, we all live in culture and time and history. Since the earliest church, they struggled with this. The book of Galatians, if you recall the summer sermon series, not that I think that you do, so I'll refresh you. We talked about how in the earliest church, part of the conflict that was at play was that it was one where they were wrestling, did you have to be ethnically Jewish to follow Jesus, or was the gospel for Gentiles too? Now when we speak about Jews and Gentiles, make no mistake that that is difference of ethnicity, religious background, cultural practices. And the answer that God gives again and again throughout the New Testament is that this is a good news for everyone in their skin, whatever their background, whatever their gender, whatever their culture, etc. And of course, we still make sense of God in our cultural times and places. We can't not do that. God is a God who operates inside of history and inside of cultures, but God is not bound by culture. God is not the owned by just one culture. God is not privy to just one time in history back then when everyone was godly. God operates in our history, but God is also beyond history and beyond culture. And so as we as people strive to become Christian, The cross should be in critical relationship with how we live. Do we open ourselves up to keep praying, God, I don't know what it means to follow you in this way. Is is what I think about this just about my cultural norms? Or is it what your spirit is inviting and asking us to become and to be? Let me give some flesh to this, right? Because this is maybe a little ethereal. When Western missionaries first encountered cultures in Africa, 
One of the aspects that was required for most missionaries as they converted people was that they expected that people who were in polygamous relationships must only have one wife, this is for the men, of course, must only have one wife if they were to become Christian. Okay. Now I, as a Christian female living in this time and place, I think I have some decent arguments against polygamy. I think I have some good ones that I think are pretty biblically grounded. And I cannot erase the fact that the majority of relationships of which my Bible talks about were ones in which the patriarchs of our faith had multiple spouses. That makes me really uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't always know what to do with it. But for me, as a missionary, to go into another culture and then say, I know for sure this is the only way you can become Christian, how much of that is influenced by my own cultural norms and how much of it is influenced by the Bible? It's at least something for us to get a little uncomfortable with. That doesn't mean I'm telling you all that polygamy is like the way to go here today, okay? So don't take that as a takeaway from the sermon. What I'm trying to get at though is how is the cross in critical relationship with what it means, what we think it looks like for us to be Christian. In our world in which we name things as culture wars, they usually actually are that. They're culture wars. But it doesn't mean that one side of the culture war has all of the biblical truth and another part doesn't. They probably both have things wrong and both have things right. And maybe both hand. I don't know, because I'm not actually God. So, just in case you were wondering. How do we then take the example of the early church to wrestle, to discern with the Spirit? Am I obeying and listening to God? Or is this my cultural norm and preference? Is the Bible really opposed to equality in marriages? Or have we historically thought that men were to be the head of the household because that's what our culture thought? We could have a conversation about that, but let's as Christians go to scripture, wrestle with it together, invite the spirit and say, what does it mean to be Christian in our time? Am I listening to God? Or am I more formed by my cultural norms? And then within that, the fifth question. If I've discerned that I'm listening to God and there's some things in culture that don't agree with that, what am I willing to risk? Sometimes I think we gloss over how much the early church risked. It wasn't smooth sailing. Being a Christian wasn't just peace it was peace and struggle in the world. They strove to live faithful witnesses in a world in which this was not welcome. And I think about some of my greatest grief in our time. I'm not saying that I follow Jesus correctly, but I know that I'm trying to I try to take seriously in every day of my life what is the call of Christ. And the thing that's heartbreaking is that in our world right now, everything is so shaped by political partisanship and by the media that it becomes nearly impossible for us to even hear one another 
or to have a conversation about some hard things because we get labeled, we label each other. And I wonder what would happen if we leaned in a little bit more and were willing to risk following God in a world that told us we all were supposed to be each other's enemies. I spoke last week with a person I'm close with who is on staff with Crew, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. After 35 years, one of their ministry partners ceased supporting them. And the reason for this was because last summer at Crew's staff gathering, they talked about racism. The person said, I refuse to support a ministry organization that supports critical race theory. And after 35 years, the people that I know lost their most faithful and longest supporters. They hadn't changed their belief that the mission of crew was to win, build, send, to have people encounter relationship with Jesus. No, what had changed was we live in a world which to even name that there might be some historic and present injustice around race meant that you embraced a thing that was antithetical to Christianity. And yet, as Christians, do we not believe everyone is made in the image of God? Does the scripture not talk about jubilee, about making things right, about caring for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the oppressed? That is not a political agenda. It's a vision of the God who is the God of all of us and wants us to be free in Christ. Now, we're going to disagree about how to live that out. But let's wrestle together with the Spirit as the early church did. And of course, they didn't do that perfectly either. Do we mythologize these stories? Or will we let them translate into our time? Will we live our faith as a both and of private and public lived out life? Will we continue to let the cross and the spirit and this community and other believers shape and challenge and invite us to see things anew? And will we be willing to risk, to refuse the ways in which our current times seek to keep us separated? And in so doing, seek to become Christian. We are a people who are called to follow Jesus. And the thing about this Jesus is as the early church bore witness to and as the end of this passage in Acts talks about, one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin stood up and said, listen, we've seen this kind of thing before. We've seen these you know, folks in their little uprising thinking something's going on. Let's just let it play out. And if there's no harm, no foul, it'll die out. And it didn't die out. The church of God and the good news of God in Christ will never die out. It will never cease. And the clarion call of the gospel of Jesus Christ that this early church heard and believed is the clarion call that I know many of you have heard in your own life. And if not, might you hear it today. The God of the universe loves you 
and is for you and says, take up your cross and follow me. Might we be a people as the church on mission who listen to the God of the universe striving and struggling, but with so much grace to be Christian in our time, to bear witness to this good news and to this kingdom. May that be so. And may Christ go with and before and behind us as we seek to live it. Amen.